Thank you, Lord. Thanks, team. As you can do the offering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, well, welcome everybody again. Hope you're all warmed up, getting ready for Robert. It's going to be awesome. Um, just while I'm up here, I thought we'd pass the baskets across and take some coin off you all. <laughs> We'd like to welcome any newcomers. You have to give double. I mean, you don't have to give anything. You just let the baskets go across in front of you. But um, I don't have much to say about the offering today, except um, Psalm 4, 5 comes to light with me, which is just simply says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Um, I think my life is pretty much doing that and it's where we come from and it, uh, it just keeps us going and it has from day one since we gave our lives to the Lord. So we offer right sacrifices and we put our trust in the Lord. So as we let the baskets go across, just like to pray over them very quickly. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you provide for us. We thank you that we have the opportunity to be here with you. We thank you for everything you give us. And Lord, in part, we give back as sacrifice. We pray that you take this sacrifice, you multiply, do your good. Let us be a part of that, Lord, as we join with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Todd. Pleasure. They were good, weren't they? Yes. It's great to be at church this morning. Todd, I, I appreciated that you acknowledged those who haven't been on holiday over Christmas. I spent many years working through, and it was always just that um, people would come back and talk about their holiday experiences, which you hadn't <laughs> had a chance to enjoy. However, this year we have been on holiday. Um, we've been up at Kaiteri. Uh, as a, as a family, we share a house up there in Bethany Park with some friends and we had family coming and going and it was a wonderful time. I managed to get 11 bike rides, two runs in nine days, and um, as well as a lot of walking and swimming. I was totally exhausted at the end of it, which is a good, normally a good sign of a good holiday for me. <laughs> uh, one of the, uh, the friend, uh, the, the guy that was... Uh, my friend who's staying with us, he's a keen mountain biker as well. And, and when I'm on holiday, I like to say, one day is my day. <laughs> I'm going to go off. The family probably aren't going to see me for most of the day, and I'm going to do something adventurous. And so we were looking at various uh, larger rides up in the area, and we came across one called Kill Devil. Oh, yes. And we thought, that's us. The name like that, we need to go for it. So we, it's on the other side of the Takia Hill and, and we went and parked the car um, uh, where the track starts. Um, at 8 o'clock in the morning we were on our bikes. Over 10 hours later we were finally back at the car. <laughs> it stretched us uh, technically and it stretched us physically. It was good, but it was a, a fantastic ride. It, the first climb is 8.5 kilometres long. Yeah, 58 switchbacks that you're going up, and they're all rocky, technical rides. It was awesome. Loved it. Um, this morning we're talking about fear, and 
And there's, uh, in Bethany Park, beside it, there's a whole mountain bike park there, which is great, and, and riding all the tracks there. And uh, there's a track there called Tree Hugger. There's lots of <laughs> Black Diamond tracks up there. Uh, this wasn't Black Diamond, but it was serious enough. And partway down, it has this drop-off, which is a little bit like you're riding up to, to your fallback speaker here, you're going up over a lip, and then you're dropping down about twice the height of the stage before it sort of runs off and runs around a, a left-hand bend. So the first time I was there, I walked the chicken route. <laughs> uh, but I didn't, I, I've, been, I've been saying uh, lately, one of the declarations I've been using is, I'm not a slave to fear, which is the title for today's talk. So I said, I've got to conquer this. I can't let fear beat me. So uh, the last day we were there, I rode it and went over it and down it and closed my eyes and funnily enough, I managed to survive it. <laughs> so as I said, today's topic is I'm not a slave to fear. Now fear is one of the biggest limiters in our lives. Fear limits our ability to live out the calling and destiny that God has for each one of us. Everyone here today has a call from God to be a person of significance who influences the world around them and grows God's kingdom. To take on the gates of hell and in some way advance God's kingdom against the gates of hell. Do you agree with that? Have you got that call on your life? Now Jesus proclaimed this at the start of his ministry in Luke chapter 4, declaring what what his call and our call is to see change and transform in the world around us. You know, we're called to attack poverty. Yeah. And that includes material and physical poverty. It includes emotional poverty and, poverty and relational poverty and spiritual poverty. We're called to attack and see change come in these areas. We're called to bring freedom to prisoners. Yeah. You know, to help see people set free from addictions. And from bad habits and behaviours that are, that are destructive. To see people set free from being controlled. To see people set free from the power of sin. We're called to release sight to the blind. Shine light into dark places. See people, uh, allow people to see that they need a relationship with God. To see their true identity, who they really are. And also include physical healing, to actually bring physical sight to blind. We're called to set the oppressed free, to bring rightness to society, to come against slavery, racism, see equality rise up, um, deal with homelessness and planet issues, and proclaim that this is the acceptable year of the Lord, that, that God's favour is wanting to be poured out on people and his goodness released. We all have that call to see that happen. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, to see the world transformed around us wherever we are. But so often, fear limits us. And you know, fear is driven by bad belief. By the lies that control our minds. What we believe is largely going to determine what we experience. 
And you remember Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here are some examples of lies that cause fear to limit us. I wonder if you can identify with any of them. Things will only get worse. My prayers are not working. I am not significant. I don't have what it takes. I am a victim of what others are doing. I cannot overcome my past. God has given up on me. I will not be provided for. I am going to fail. This is just an example of some lies which generate fear for our future and what we're doing. If you're in my small group, we learn that when we're talking about lies, to laugh at them. (laughs) Break the power of those lies over our lives. Fear can limit our future and does limit our future if we let it control us. And not only does fear limit us, the indicator that we've been controlled by fear is a negative behavior pattern. You know, fear just doesn't sit there idle. It does stuff. There is always a behavior produced by fear, and that behavior isn't healthy. Let me give you some examples. A person might be afraid they won't have enough, that they won't have enough resource, that they won't have enough provision for what they need, that they might run out, that there is limited resource available. So that could be a fear that someone here has. So if we were that person, if we were afraid we won't have enough, then a possible resulting negative behaviour will be an expression or pattern of greed rather than generosity. We will hold on to things tightly because we don't think we'll get any more rather than use them to bless others and we'll be willing to perhaps hurt others so that we can get more. It's a possible product of of a fear like like that. Another one, what about relational fears? Perhaps being afraid that you'll lose a relationship, that someone will up and leave you or be taken from you. And if we're afraid of losing a relationship, then we might see a pattern of control and manipulation develop out, out of our lifestyle rather than freedom and respect of the other person and honoring the other person. There might be a reluctance to be vulnerable with the other person because if they actually knew what we're really like, they will leave us. And so the limit, we have a limit on the depth of the relationship that we can have with them. How about if we're afraid of failing, a fear of failure? Now we could see a a pattern of perfectionism start to develop around us living with a high level of stress in everything that we do because we just can't afford to fail. We're only taking things on that we know we will succeed in. And we're losing that enjoyment in what we do. Fear, the product of fear, is generally some form of behavioral problem in our lives. So where do we get these fears? 
The Bible tells us that fear comes from a lack of identity. The Apostle Paul tells us this regarding fear, Romans 8, 14-15. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. We could also say daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. This verse indicates we either identify as a slave to fear or as a son and daughter of God. In other words, the more that we identify with who we are in God, then the less we become controlled by fear. Now, we do not need to be a slave to fear. We do not need to let fear control our lives. Every fear that we have is based out of a lie and is to be overcome. When we're born again, we become children of God and our DNA changes. Fear is no longer a part of that DNA, but the lies that cause fear trick our minds into thinking it's okay to be afraid. Fears, friends, need to be dealt with. Our identity has changed. We've become a son and daughter of the living God. All the resource of heaven dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that we need to fear. However, it is a lifelong process as we become more and more Christ-like. You know, lies establish strongholds, and these strongholds need to be dealt with. The battle is for the mind, friends. One of my favorite verses, which I've been sharing lately, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish what? Strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The battle is in our mind, and we can have victory. God never asks us to take on a battle that he doesn't expect us to win. Read the Bible. Every time God asks someone to do something, he expects them to win. There's nothing that God is asking you to do that he doesn't expect you to win in. There is always a solution, especially in overcoming fear. Fear can be overcome, and I've discovered that there is a process that truly overcomes fear. And that process involves three ingredients that I see that we need to apply to experience victory over the fears in our lives. And these three ingredients are love, truth, and faith. So that's what we want to talk about this morning, love, truth, and faith. First, let's look at the first one, love. 1 John four sixteen to 19. And so we know and rely on the, love of God, on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know, I used to think that verse 18 meant if we had perfect love for other people, then that love would overcome any fear we might have of doing good and sharing Jesus. A bit like being afraid of heights, preventing you from doing anything involving heights. But if one of our kids was trapped on a cliff face and we had a great love for them, then we might scale that cliff to rescue the kids, even though we're afraid of heights. Now that may happen, but it isn't what these verses are talking about. Only God has perfect love. Now perfect love doesn't come from us, it comes from God through us. We need to experience God's love to overcome fear. Now reading the Bible is good, praying is good, but we need to experience, we need experience with God as well. We need to encounter him regularly. We need to know we are loved. Our true identity flows out of God's love. It is through encountering God's love that we become like Jesus. As we encounter Jesus regularly, our understanding grows that God is good, that he is in a good mood, and that he only does good things. And that we have nothing to fear. We begin to understand that as God's son or daughter, no matter what our circumstances look like, no matter how bad our circumstances look, God will always make something good from it. God doesn't send bad stuff. He turns bad stuff into good things. By encountering Jesus and his incredible perfect love for us, we realize that God can be trusted. We don't need to fear if we will have enough. We don't need to fear what will happen if a relationship has problems. We don't need to fear failing. Perfect love brings confidence in who we are in Jesus. Remember, when we become a follower of Christ, our DNA has changed. We're born again. We're a new creation. We're now born of the Spirit. We have been hardwired to encounter God. We've got the same DNA. We're sons and daughters. This is part of our inheritance to encounter God. As we encounter God, we experience His perfect love and the power of fear starts to break off. Fear is to do with punishment, this verse tells us. Thinking something bad is going to happen to us. Encountering God helps us to understand just how good he is. That he is not out to punish us. That he doesn't send bad things our way. That he turns the bad into good. I want to start again. God is a good God in a good mood, only doing good things. Whenever we fear, our mind is saying that we don't believe this about God. We're thinking that God is going to send negative outcomes our way and those negative outcomes scare us. Fear shows a lack of trust in who God is. However, the more we experience God's love, the more we trust in him to do good and the less fear we will have. Overcoming fear starts, friends, with experiencing God's love.
Secondly, truth. Truth is what we need to actually see fear breaking off. Fear is driven from lies. And these lies need to be replaced with truth. The power of the lie needs to be broken and the vacuum that is left replaced with truth. In the book of Numbers in the Bible, there's a story of the 12 spies Moses sent to check out the promised land. When the 12 spies came back with their report, 10 of them believed the lie that they were too weak to take the land and that they were like grasshoppers in their own eyes. Two said, don't delay, we can do it, let's get up and let's take the promised land. All 12 were right. All 12 got what they believed. Ten believed a lie and received a lie. Two believed what God said to be true was true and they received that truth. No, we are more powerful than we think. What's going on in here and what we confess is more powerful than we think. What we believe controls our destiny. Believing a lie causes fear and limits what we do. Breaking the lie and replacing it with truth brings freedom and liberty and opens up our future. I've asked Denise to come and share some stories of her experience of hearing God's truth and the difference that's made for her. She's got better stories than me. Hi. I'd like to tell you a story about God revealing his truth through my, my handbook for life. Once upon a time, there was a... Sorry. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a teenage boy who wanted to be married around the age of 21. And there was a teenage girl who also looked forward to getting married and having babies. In fact... She was so clucky that sometimes when she passed a mother and baby, she would get tears welling up in her eyes. Let's call the boy Robert and the girl Denise. <laughs> Robert was on the way to a planning meeting of several youth groups to put on an event for teenagers in Ringiora. As he drove along Blackett Street, he saw a girl with a ponytail walking along the footpath. He liked what he saw. So further up the road, he did a U-turn so he could drive past again. <laughs> I, I didn't notice. But Robert must have been so surprised when I turned up at the same meeting. Robert went to the Wingyore New Life Youth Group and I went to the Wingyore Baptist Youth Group. We started going out in February and after going out for three weeks, we talked about marriage. When we had been going out for three months, God, when I was reading my Bible, God highlighted a verse to me. It was Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. Find a wife and you find a good thing. It shows that the Lord is good to you. As a Christian, it was vital for me to know God's will on such an important issue as choosing a husband. I trusted God enough to know that if it wasn't his will for us to marry, it would be better to break it off than it would be to have a failed marriage in years to come. To find out God's will, I asked God to highlight the same verse to Robert. If it no was pressure. <laughs> if it was his will for us to marry. Quite soon after that, Robert highlighted that verse in Robert's old King James Version, which read, Whosoever findeth a wife 
findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favour of the Lord. So, it was great to know that we were able to get married with God's blessing. We just had to wait till we were old enough and have a house. That was my dad's stipulation. <laughs> we both, according to our Christian beliefs, remained virgins. Robert lived with his parents and I with mine. We bought a house in December 1986, but left it empty until we moved in together after our honeymoon. The night before our wedding, I wrote out two special pieces of literature for Robert and put them in an envelope on the pillow in his sleep out. One of them was a poem, Love's Philosophy, by P.B. Shelley. The other was piece was from the book of Ruth in the Bible, which spoke of Ruth's commitment and loyalty to her mother-in-law, Naomi. But for me, it was a statement and a promise to Robert of my commitment and loyalty to him. It says, Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. It sounds even more poetic in the old King James. Whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Three years and three days after we started going out, it was finally our wedding day, the 7th of February, 1987. Robert and I were surprised and delighted when the pastor based a short message at a wedding on Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. It was further confirmation that we were in God's will for our lives. However, on our honeymoon, I was struggling with, with a deep fear of Robert dying and me being left on my own. It probably came from Robert saying he'd be happy to die for Christ and it didn't worry him, him if he lived long, as long as he lived well. Thankfully, God lifted that fear from me by vividly highlighting some more verses in the Bible, written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in the city of Philippi. Let's have that verse up, Philippians. For what is life? To me it is Christ. Death, then, will bring more. But if con by continuing to live I can do more worthwhile work, then I'm not sure which I should choose. I am pulled in two directions. I want very much to leave this life and be with Christ, which is a far better thing. But for you, for your sake, it is much more important that I remain alive. I am sure of this, and so I know I will stay. I will stay on with you all to add to your progress and joy in the faith. This reassured me that God would keep Robert alive as long as I needed him. And that the last verse, I will stay on with you all, reassured me that we would have children, that you all, meaning me and our children. Going back to my cluckiness, Robert made me wait five years before he started trying for a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and because we were practicing natural family planning, I thought it would be easy to get pregnant. When it didn't happen, I was upset and worried that maybe I was unable to have children. Again, God reassured me by highlighting verses from Psalm 127 and 128. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a real blessing. And your wife will be like a fruitful vine in your home. Next month, God reassured me again by highlighting another verse, Psalm 113, verse 9. He honours the childless wife in her home. He makes her happy by giving her children. Our first child was born in November 1992, a daughter, Lily Frances Ellen Norris. Once again, at what should have been a joyful time in life's journey, I was struck by fear. 
I was overwhelmed by the enormous responsibility of being a mum. I was scared that Lily could die of cot death. My cousin's firstborn died of cot death. What worried me most was leaving her alone at night. I, I couldn't watch over her all night long, so I took the problem to God and gave Lily to God to watch over and keep, keep her breathing. That handing over took an enormous weight off my shoulders. It gave me peace. What I was putting into practice was Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. There's an apt saying in the back of my Bible that I wrote when I was a teenager. A Bible which is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. <laughs> yeah. I, I thank God for my handbook for life. It is historical, but it is also relevant to each one of us today. I also thank God for his Holy Spirit. He dwells in each one of us who accepts Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to us like a highlighter pen for me in my handbook for life. Thanks, Denise. You know, we all have different fears, and there'll be even fears that we don't realise that we have. But God, isn't it good that God meets us where we're at? And He reveals the truth that we need to actually break that fear off our lives. Encountering God, knowing His love, and receiving truth from God you know, really does break fear off us. You know, and, and we need both components. You know, sometimes we, we might become just fully focused on the Word. That we just study the Word. We, we think you know, the truth in God's Word is all that we need, and we, we, just, we just focus on that. And I, I find that when you do that, you tend to dry up. Yeah. And at other times, we don't worry about the word at all. We don't worry about receiving truth. And we're just totally focused on receiving God's spirit and connecting with him and having these amazing experiences if you've been there. And generally find when we do that, we blow up. But when we have encountering God's love, encountering God, and receiving truth from his word, we grow up. It's not an either-or, it is both. And as we encounter God and as we receive truth, we start to see breakthrough from the fear in our lives. But then there's the third component. It's one thing to theoretically have fear broken off. It's another thing to prove it. Yeah. You know, we need faith. We can have an incredible encounter with Jesus, experience his perfect love deeply and have him break lies off us and speak, speak truth to us. But until we take action, until we have exercised faith, then fear won't truly be broken off us. You know, during the week, Carl and I were biking down through Bowenvale on the, on the Port Hills. The, the first part of the downhill, downhill that we're doing is called Sesame Street. Sounds like an easy track, doesn't it? Uh, we, on our old, we both got new bikes uh, partway through last year, and they're awesome. Um, the, although 
Tails is carbon fibre. Sorry, I'm digressing. I just enjoy talking about mountain biking at the moment. Mine's not. It's a little bit heavier than Carl's. And when we're doing the Kill Devil track, um, you know, there are trees lying over the track, and we had to actually carry our bikes over. I was wishing I had a carbon <laughs> bike at that stage. Anyway, so Sesame Street. It's a track there, and and when we go down there again, there's another drop off on that on that track, and there's a nice sweeping chicken root side that you can ride quite fast. So up till now we have ridden this chicken route and we haven't done the done the drop off because every time you're coming up to it at a reasonable speed after you've gone over all this rough stuff, um, it scares us, <laughs> to be fair. And I, I, so I said to Carl this week, I said, Carl, I'm not a slave to fear. We're going to do this. Uh, Carl says, well, if you do it, I'll probably have to do it. <laughs> and so uh, we, we got to where the drop-off is, and, we, and uh, so I said, well, let's stop here and we'll have a look at it. We'll, we'll analyse it. So let's get some truth around what we've got to do here, <laughs> not just going blindly. And we had a look. We, we looked at the best line and what we had to do and realised, actually, it's nowhere near as scary as we thought. So um, we could have said, it, well... Yeah, we could ride this and then carry it on around the chicken route. But no, we had to take our bikes back up the track, so we got a good run at it. And because we hadn't done it before, the nerves were still there. But until we actually went and rode it, we hadn't overcome the fear. Yeah. You can ask Carl how that went. <laughs> no, so... Until we exercise faith, overcoming fear is theoretical. We needed to apply our belief and do something to actually see that the fear is broken from our lives. We won't truly know if fear has been broken until we take action. Now you might have a fear of commitment because you've been hurt by people in the past. And you don't want to be hurt again. Eventually, to overcome this fear, you will need to commit to a relationship. You will have to take that step. You might have a fear about going after something you believe God has placed on your heart to do because you're worried it might fail if you attempt it. And you feel more comfortable with, where you, with what you know rather than the unknown. No, action will be required to overcome that fear. In fact, fear and faith are true enemies. To be a follower of Christ is to live by faith, a constant journey of overcoming fear. We should have a constant stream of faith stories where we have overcome fear as we follow Jesus. And one of the best places for this to occur is in your close relationships. Now, it is a scary thing to allow yourself to be vulnerable to others, to those close to you, to, to allow them to see the real you, because what if they don't like you? Faith allows you to open up with these people and let them see who you are, the real you. The nature of faith is to believe truths and promises higher than what we are experiencing or have experienced. Faith takes us forward in God's kingdom until our experience catches up 
with what God says is true. And there will never be a convenient time to take steps of faith. The year ahead is going to be full of its unique opportunities and challenges. We don't want fear to limit our ability, but we want to grab these opportunities and challenges. We want to be overcomers, people of faith, friends. You are a son and daughter of God. You are royalty. You have authority. You can do it. Now, here's a little side thought. Rather than waiting for something great to do this year, do the things in front of you in a great way. Do what you're doing right now with great faith and it will become great and you will be significant because you are. Perhaps the band can come up. Now, one of the best stories in the Bible about overcoming fear is the story of, uh, around the prophet Elijah. He was one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. He, he was around during the time of King Ahab of Israel when Israel had uh, rejected God and was going after Baal. And most of you will know the story of how um, he, he um, challenged all the prophets of Baal, 400 of them, to see who was the true God, and he, and he had a great victory there. Um, and, but after that, Queen Jezebel threatened his life, and, and Elijah ran with fear. He ran with fear after such a great victory. And it came out of, I believe, just his passion for the nation, and he had this great victory, and yet nothing seemed to have changed, and he felt that he was the only one standing there for God, and they were out to kill him. And what would happen if he died to the nation? So Elijah runs afraid and hides. Now God wants to set Elijah free from fear and restore him as a man of faith. So he takes him to a cave experience. He nourishes him for 40 days, so he it nourishes him with food so he can travel 40 days to the mountain of God. Takes him into a cave. And there he meets with Elijah. You know, the Bible talks about how there's all these great signs and wonders that that happened, and, but God wasn't in them. And then God just meets them with a still, small voice, meets them in a deep, intimate, loving way. Elijah encounters God's love, realizes that he is actually a good God. Then God starts to reveal truth to Elijah. He, he, God says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, um, I've worked very hard for the Lord God of the heavens, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down their altars and killed your prophets. And only I am left. And now they're trying to kill me too. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to the nation of Israel? And only I am left, Elijah said. He had lost hope and thought he was the only one left. Perhaps fear has caused you to lose hope. God broke through Elijah's fear with truth. He showed Elijah that God's ability is at least 7,000 times better than what Elijah thought. He said to him, and incidentally, Elijah, you know how you say you're the only one? That you're the only one left? I've got 7,000 men in Israel who have never bowed to Baal nor kissed him, 
ready to stand for me if I need them to. You aren't the only one Elijah says. 7,000 times more than what you think. And I believe this is a word for someone here today. Faith, you, you know, fear has robbed you of hope. Whatever is, whatever is causing you to fear, God's ability to take you through is 7,000 times better than what you think. He will help you get through your fear. He will restore hope to your life. What fear do you need to be set free from? One of the best strategies is to ask Jesus regularly, what fear do I need to overcome? I started this, doing this towards the end of last year, which started me on this process for today's talk, love, truth, faith. As I was spending time in God's presence, experiencing his love, growing in my identity as a son of God, I asked God, what fear do I need to overcome at the moment? And I sensed God asked me, why are you afraid to go up to a stranger and ask if they'd like prayer for healing? That one question from God has started a process of peeling off layers of lies about who, what I really believe about God and myself. Why did I think God would let me down if I did that? Why was my ego so important to me? All sorts of lies like this. And I'm working through these lies and replacing them with truth. One of the truths I regularly declare is, I lay hands on the sick and they recover. And I declare, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And God has prepared good works for me to do today. And I think I'm getting to the point where some action will be required. <laughs> what about you? What fear does God want to start working on with you? Are you willing to ask him? If you are, let's ask him. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to acknowledge and thank you that you're a good God, that you're for us, that you want us to encounter your love, that you want to release us from fear, that you want to bring freedom over our lives, that you've got a destiny and a future and a hope for us, and you're wanting us to take us into the fullness that you have for us, that you thought about us before the foundation of the world, and, and, and you put things in place that every day that you've created good things for us to do, and you do not want fear to limit us. And Lord, I just pray that right now you'll speak into our hearts by your Holy Spirit and reveal any fears that you're wanting to deal with right now. You'll help us to understand your love and that you'll bring truth to counter the lie behind the fear. Bring your revelation, Jesus. Surround me with a 